All right, this is I Hate the Fins. I think this is our seventh episode under the SB Nation umbrella. We're part of the Finsider Radio podcast. I forgot to mention that the past couple of weeks, so there it is. Uh, we're happy to be a part of it. If you're able to catch the other programs on there, definitely check them out. I think they it's every couple of days. We're supposed to be on Thursdays. We're recording on Thursday this week uh, just because the schedule I've got going right now is tumultuous at best. Just, you know, having a baby with a busy time at work. But we do get these programs out eventually. We're doing Saturdays right now, which I guess is in a way appropriate because we focus a lot on the college game on this program. With Finsider Radio, you get the the actual team. We talk about who could be part of the team, guys you want to see part of the team as um, something of interest in a season like this where really not a lot has gone right. Uh my name is Keith, of course, I'm with my co-host, Zach. Um, so you've read, I mean, most, if not all of you, saw the game on Sunday. It's a game Miami should have won. It's Miami. It's a game Miami had to win. Uh, eventually, they come up short. A lot of conservative play calling at the end. That has been a, a theme this season, the conservative play calling. It's, un, it's understandable to have conservative play calling when you have someone like Brock Osweiler under center. It's different when you have someone like Ryan Tannehill, who normally, if he were healthy, you you like to think that you're going to unleash him in a game like that, especially late when the Dolphins had a chance to move the chains, uh, keep Andrew Luck off the field, and win a tough road game against a team that really has been surging for uh, the, the past few weeks and has looked very good. Uh, I, Ryan Tannehill is clearly nowhere near healthy. Uh, I think it's the the AC sprain. I mean, that is a tough injury in your in your throwing shoulder. Uh, he's definitely missing some velocity. It, it looked better than the last time we saw him, but that's not really saying much. Uh, struggled to throw the ball downfield. Had a couple of of chances to hit downfield on throws he usually makes, and it just wasn't there. So, uh, I mean, there is if if you're looking for the positives in that game before we start to look at some of the themes and then we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll talk about this, this uh, weekend's bowl games a little bit. Um, and we'll tease a few things that we have coming up. If you're looking for some positives and I'll turn to Zach in a second, because I want to uh, make this more of a, a discussion. Uh, that's the Kenyan Drake you're looking for. That's why people want to see him get more touches. Uh, he looked unstoppable at times in that game. Looked good, looked fast, looked good catching the ball. Uh, was just a, an absolute game breaker and a great compliment, which we expected a great compliment to Frank Gore. Frank Gore is just an absolute bull in the backfield. I mean, uh, Kenyon is uh, Kenyon is savvy, very fast, very fluid. Just a, just a great counterpunch to what Frank Gore brings to the table. So, I mean, that was nice to see. Uh, and and then Xavier Howard and I think probably the one of the great crimes of the 2018 season for Miami is they're just wasting away uh, just unbelievable play from a guy who is playing corner as well as anybody in the league right now. I mean Xavier Howard just looks unbelievable. Just looks like I mean he. I mean, he's just a shutdown corner at this point. I mean, I don't know. You can throw any kind of hyperbole or superlatives out there for him. It doesn't really matter. He's playing as well as anyone. I mean, he is a legitimate superstar out on the perimeter for a team that has been looking for something like that forever. So, I mean, that's a great spot uh, of the season, a real high point. Unfortunately, with uh, some of the play from, uh, the, I mean, the defensive line, I mean, has struggled at times. They got some some stuff going in Indianapolis. So, I mean... Uh, you can't really beat them up too much. And then the linebacker core has been up and down. Sometimes Kiko looks really good. I mean, sometimes Kiko struggles. And you see him. Uh, he's guessing wrong. He's lunging. Raquan McMillan has been a project. Jerome Baker has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, albeit somebody who's a, a rookie. So lots of like some stuff to like, a lot to dislike. So, Zach, I'll bring you in now. And for the positive Dolphins fans out there, uh, we talked about a little bit of this on Sunday night, but your biggest takeaway from a positive standpoint from that game where you, you even though the Dolphins blow a lead up there, up 10 points in the fourth quarter, I think, 
and then lost it in typical Dolphins fashion, if we're just being honest. The big takeaway in a positive sense that you can tell fans, like, look, that happened, and that's something to be excited about going forward. Um, it's it's a kind of a tough one for me because, like I said, I was I was on the commute back to Baltimore from Jersey, so I, I listened to it on radio, um, which is always interesting. But I think you kind of hit it with Gore and Kenyon Drake, and I think it's not so much the individual pieces of the two of them and how they shine in their own individual ways with their skill set i think it's more that you saw that this offense has the capability to successfully run two running backs with two different skill sets um it seems like through a lot of the season we've seen that frank gore has a good game or Kenyon drake has a good game not both of them at the same time um you know so i think regardless of who the quarterback is, I think more success from both of them as a team um, instead of one or the other having a good week, you know, can really set whoever's back there at quarterback up for a lot of success. I would agree with that. And we talked about the quarterback draft talk, which I mean, it just has permeated Dolphins Twitter. I mean, really since Ryan, well, really since the start of the season since 2012 <laughs> since, yeah, since yeah since then since before that um so i mean i think the the big problem with or i i guess like the the tragedy of going into a draft where it i feel like it's almost a an absolute lock no pun intended that the dolphins i think are going to take a quarterback especially if they retain if they retain adam gase and i think they will unless something really messed up happens in the next couple of weeks, he's going to be back. And we've mentioned this before. And a lot of times during a coach's uh, tenure or stay with a team, the quarterback situation from his perspective goes from guy I think I can win with or guy I believe I can win with to pursuing the guy that I want to coach if I'm if my job is on the line, which I think we're we've kind of transitioned into that phase in some way, shape, or form, and people can I mean, hot seat is such an overused uh, term when it comes to really any potential coaching vacancy or coaching coaching situation. Um, I I think Adam Gase will be back, and I think that at this point it turns into find me the guy who's going to go ahead and write this ship in terms of what I'm looking to do on offense so I can save face so I can go ahead and um, reassume um, the the good standing I had with this with the team ownership fans so on and so forth so in a season where that's probably going to happen this is an excellent defensive draft and watching that game on Sunday you think like oh man it would be so great if they had you know, had some more punch up the middle in terms of just like a an outstanding defensive tackle. Because, um, I mean, that team against the run has been extremely hit or miss. Uh, you think about, I mean, do you want to go with Mika Fitzpatrick as your perimeter guy going forward, or do you really want to stay the course and look at him as, you know, almost a, like a the role he played at Alabama, which was that star role, but instead of, you know, toggling between that nickel linebacker slash safety thing are you going to put him primarily at safety bring him sometimes down into the slot depending on what's going on so that's the that's the sad part in there and i mean we we're going to talk about quarterback play so often on this show that i mean some people some people are going to love it some people are not going to like it so we're going to try to break it down into bite-sized pieces every week just to kind of say like hey check this guy out this is going to come up a lot just because you know we're going into bowl season uh this Saturday is one of my favorite weekends of college football. I love championship Saturday, especially because, I mean, the game start at what Oklahoma and Texas starts at 11. I mean, and it's just like almost 12 hours of just football overdose. So I think more importantly at noon is Iowa State versus Drake. I think that's probably the most important game this weekend. Yeah, <clears throat> of course. How could we forget that one? <laughs> and I And I saw that one when I was rolling through the games just. Because I forgot who Clemson was playing in the ACC title game. 
It was yeah. something where I was like, I was like, what am I missing here? And then it, like, it was a thing where it started to come to me and I was like, I think it's Pitt. And then I rolled through and I was just going through the games and I saw Iowa State and Drake and I was like, ah, yes, they're the real heavyweight of the bunch. But I mean, <laughs> Iowa State, Iowa State typically produces some players that we really like too. I mean, we, we were, we loved Alan uh, Lazard last Lazard. year. I still do. It's, it's a shame that the NFL hasn't figured out how to have more, um, what's his name? Colston that played for the saints forever. Um, Marcus, Marcus Colston. Yeah. Yeah. Like those are guys that you can use, like use and not every team has a tight end that makes sense to move into the slot and stuff. So like have a big wide receiver, make him your fifth wide receiver or sixth wide receiver on your team that you just have in certain packages. But you know, what do I know? Um, but I mean, Iowa state has some pretty good guys. Um, oh man, I'm gonna have to do a, a quick Google search. They have a corner who's actually really good. He's played really well this year. Um, and their freshman quarterback, Purdy, he's played really well too, which is nice. It's always a school that's that's good for ruining someone's season every year. Like they'll beat yeah. someone. You think about um they knocked Oklahoma State out of the title game mention. I wanna say yep. that was uh two thousand eleven. I think they beat them on the last one of the last weekends of the season, so that was rough. Um, Brian yeah. Peavy. And the, Brian Peavy is the, the corner I'm thinking yeah. of uh, Iowa State. He's, he's scrappy. I like him. And they were, I think they were the first school to beat West Virginia this year, back when yeah. you know, that, was, yep. that was considered a difficult thing to do. Yep. So, uh, I mean, we're going to get into so many prospects and everything, but if, just real quick before we talk about uh, Championship Saturday and some what we'd like to see in some of these bowl games and how we can go ahead and uh, project what's going on in these games onto the Dolphins' future. Uh, you agree that Adam Gase is safe this season. You expect him to be back next year, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you, think, do you think he'll retain? I'm just going to just fire a bunch of questions at you. Just go ahead and you can answer as, you know, your answers can be as long or as short as you want. Okay. Do you ex- do you expect a change at defensive coordinator? Um, probably. I don't know who it would be. Um, but I think there's just been too many big mistakes um, over the course of the season, and I think we kind of had this talk offline about how I think Matt Burke could run a good system. I think he could, you know, be a good coach to teach the fundamentals and things that he wants his defense to do but I think he lacks focus in a way that projects onto the players where they lack focus and that's why you're seeing those big you know chunk kind of gap plays he's a young dude too like you got to give these young coaches some credit yeah you expect Adam Gase to retain play calling duties next season again I think yeah because who else is going to do it who else are you going to bring in I don't think Loggins has done anything wrong to not, you know, stay the OC. And like, I don't think he's a play caller. I think he's a Joe Philbin kind of guy. Um, I think he's more like a quality control kind of guy. Um, and it Rain looks the like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it also looks like, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is going to, um, USC. USC. Weird. Um, that's, that's definitely a a rent to hire situation for them, because um, that's that's putting Clay on notice that if you don't get your behind together in uh, a year year and a half, we got your replacement. You know, calling plays already. Is uh, football everything moves so fast in football in terms of the the world and the structure? Because remember, at one point, T. Martin was like the considered like one of the offensive coordinators in college football like he was one of the guys and all of a sudden i mean he's gone so. yeah i mean that happens to a lot of guys i mean um i mean even look in the nfl remember all the talk around uh what's his name in detroit jim bob cooter or whatever he, yeah. he was a hot name for a second which you know that's that's good but it's it's over essentially for him yeah well, that's been a tough year for those guys and i mean they have a high-priced offensive line that really, for all intents and purposes, has played well when it's healthy. I mean, Ricky Wagner's stri- struggled to stay healthy. Taylor Decker's had some issues. Uh, TJ Lang has had issues. Uh, they dra- drafted a uh, Ragnow from uh, Arkansas. 
So yeah, I don't know. Everything moves so fast. So I I agree with everything you've said uh, thus far. All right, I'm just going to throw some other things out there. Uh, do you think Ryan Tannehill is the starter in 2019? Um, mm, that's a tough one. I think if the budget allows it, yes. Um, if they think they need some wiggle room in their budget to make things happen in the off season or something, I say no. Um, but I lean, I'll, I'll lean more towards yes. Is Minka Fitzpatrick defending out on the on the perimeter when the season starts next year, or is he back to the original uh, plan for him? Uh, no, I, I think he's back to that that star role that you were talking about. Um, it's just tough because, like, I, I remembered um, going back to the draft. He prefers corner. Um, that's where he feels most comfortable. He was saying. Um, so while I'm not opposed to it, I don't think that's where he ends up because he's too talented to just be a, a boundary corner. Is this the, the linebacker group that the team's going to go into the next season with meaning Jerome Kiko and, uh, Raekwon? You know, that that's an interesting question. Cause when you were talking about kind of going over the, the outlook of the team in the beginning here, um, the weirdest part is in my mind, the odd man out is still Kiko. Even though he's played really well this year, um, I just don't see him in the long-term plans for what he could potentially cost. And while he's had a really good year this year, um, there are still times where you just see him like, Kiko, what are you doing? Um, you know, so I, my ideal scenario is if they could get a guy like Devin White out of LSU, plug him in the middle, put um, Raekwon as their left side two down linebacker and have White and um, Baker as your your nickel guys. I'm all about that. That'd be a lot of speed. Plus he could ride his horse around. Yeah, I mean, a, he he rode the heck out of that horse today. Um, I don't know yeah. what that was for or what that was about, but I was a big fan. Yeah. Okay, so well, this is our last question. Just uh, well, my last question, just because I don't want to. I mean, people have spent all week. I get it. It was a tough loss. Although I will say that if you've been a Dolphins fan for more than five or for less than five years, that's the only explanation for why you went half or halfway through that fourth quarter thinking that team was actually going to win. I know it's very cynical to say, but as soon as uh, they were up 10, then Indianapolis got that field goal and it's a seven point game. And then the dolphins immediately go three and out. I knew that game was over, but I mean like that's just what I'll, go ahead. I'll, I'll take that kind of a loss compared to some of the losses we've seen over the past, you know, five, six, seven, whatever years. Like, at least they put in a pretty good effort. They just didn't execute all the way down the stretch, slash, there was some conservative play calling. Um, you know, at the end of the they day, didn't like, close. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, but, you know, I'd rather take a loss like that than, like, were we ever actually in it, you know? Mm hmm. And you're not wrong, but, um, just looking at at this team's makeup and everything, that's such that was such a Dolphins loss in terms of they're looking good, go up ten. I mean Drake is just absolutely humming at that point. Uh, and I mean you were just getting. I mean as soon as that game started, and Ryan Tannehill's velocity looked better, but it's still. I feel like it trailed off quick going into that second quarter. Some of those throws he was making, I was like, ah, I don't know about this. Uh, the good news and one thing we didn't mention is uh, Leonte Carew sighting. He scores in that game. A pretty big play, too, if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, so. it was nice to see some life out of him. Um, it, it'll be interesting going down the stretch to see what he and um, Ford can do. Because, um, you know, who knows who's going to be the bodies on the receiver core next year. What do you um, what do you make of what Kenny Still said today? Um, I think that's just frustration, which is fair. Um, I mean, like even in our daily job, there's times where you're talking to people and you're like, you know, um, I'm doing everything I can, but X person isn't holding up there into the bargain, which like, that's how life works, unfortunately. Um, and it can be frustrating at the moment. 
And sometimes you, because I, I think he trailed back around and said like, look, like I'm not pointing fingers or blaming anybody. Like, like that's just the scenario of what it is. Like I, I'm open at times and I'm not getting the ball. Um, but that's just how it is. So I think he was just flustered, which is a hundred percent fair. Um, but I mean, like most of it has been five weeks of Brock Osweiler. Um, he was on a good track while Tannehill was around, but obviously it fell off after that. Um, but you know, I, I don't make anything of it. I, I, I retweeted when he said, uh, I can't throw the ball to, to myself. I said, well, not with that attitude. Um, but, that. but like at the end of the day, like it's just frustration at work. Um, and I, I think it's okay. I interpreted it as, I mean, he's doing everything he can. He's getting open, you know, he's busting his ass and everything. And I mean, he's just not seeing the results, but the one thing you pointed out is, I mean, the accumulation of whatever resulted in in that sort of mini outburst uh, was a lot of it was Brock Osweiler, which is a, a fair thing to know going forward. I mean, how many how many games has has he really has he had with a healthy Ryan Tannehill this this year? Very few. Uh, and then another thing, he Stills was the target on that ball that was thrown to the corner of the end zone on Sunday that was should have been picked by Indianapolis, I think. It's been a long week. I'm trying to remember. I feel like he was the target on that play. So, I mean, it's. I think a lot of it is the shoulder health of Ryan Tannehill. He's just not throwing the ball the way we're accustomed to seeing from him. The stats suggest as much. A lot of short stuff the other day. I think it's difficult for him to really put the ball downfield comfortably and consistently so and i don't know that that's going to get any better which is bad news if you if you think this team is still in the hunt which i mean they're doing some really good things well and unfortunately it's just the the problems that they have are greatly overshadowing the pluses that they have going on on both sides of the football so um there's one more question that i wanted to ask before we move on there we got the kenny stills thing wanted to mention that um well, i mean it is buffalo bills week and everything the thing is is josh allen's playing fairly well which is i mean kind of kind of a thing to be salty about if you're the dolphins just because i mean you you banked on that guy i mean so many fans thought that that guy was gonna be absolute trash and i mean like he's not dominating I thought he was really good in that game that they won in Minnesota, that real surprise where they just absolutely beat down the Vikings uh, early in the season. And, I mean, it's if you're playing Jacksonville, Jacksonville's not very good right now. But, I mean, he looked good. He When I watch Josh Allen play right now, he's commanding the offense, which I don't know that you can really ask more of a rookie quarterback than that. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think he's probably, I mean, the second-best quarterback um in this draft class through, you know, what are we talking? Thir- 12 weeks here, um, you know, after Baker. Um, and I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that him and Lamar are probably two A two B or two and three um, so far, but they've obviously had a smaller sample size than, than the other three guys. Um, and Josh Rosen does not have a damn thing to work with in Arizona. Um, and you can pretty much say the same thing for, Sam Darnold in in New York, not too many weapons, and whoever has been a weapon for them has been pretty beat up. Um, and they, but neither of those teams have offensive lines. So, um, this this will be a tough class to truly evaluate until these teams actually build things. But Josh Allen's looked good. I, I'm surprised how much he's used his legs, because um, like you know he was he was sold as that pretty athletic guy. Um, and got that Cam Newton comp every now and then. But, like, I did not see the, the leg situation. And I don't think he ran, like, a crazy good 40. Maybe I forgot. Um, but I, I'm just surprised he's, you know, run so well. And I think it's kind of complimented how little he's needed to to put up huge life-saving throws. Um, and especially because, like, I don't think the Bills have been running the ball that well this year. Obviously, they don't have a great offensive line, but I don't think they've been... I don't think McCoy's done anything, right? I don't think so. So, no. Uh, just something to to note as this team goes through, because at one point, it looked like those two games against Buffalo were going to be locks. 
or anything but now, especially considering the the injury history we have going on here. So we'll turn our attention because I want to try to keep this show to a, a half hour this week. We've got the games on Saturday, so we'll I'll bring up each one. Maybe mention a prospect or two that you like. Uh, maybe playing for Miami next year. Just I mean, because I mean, a lot of I find that either the people who follow me on Twitter are really into the University of Miami, or they just kind of dabble in college football and just watch whatever's in front yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, I prefer the latter. No offense to the Canes fans listening. Uh, I am not a Canes fan. I don't know if I could make that any more clear with what I tweet and what I talk about on this show. But so let's start. So Oklahoma, Texas, that one kicks it off. A lot of people are, I've noticed that people are starting to try to suck themselves in in terms of Kyler, uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, his the, plan is still th- to go play baseball, so I don't think he is even a possibility. I mean, he was drafted. I mean, for people who don't know, if I mean, if you're just now finding out about Kyler Murray, he's drafted in the top ten. Yeah, yeah. In the major league, major league baseball draft in June, Oakland selected him. Oakland, Oklahoma fans were pissed <laughs> when that happened because I think he's he can go ahead with that contract after this season, if I'm not yep. mistaken. That's that's the game plan. He's going to dip for so, uh, um, baseball like ASAP after this season's over. So, I mean, you you talk about a life after football as opposed to a life after baseball. I, I mean, we've had that discussion plenty. You were a big Jeff Samarja fan when you were a kid, right? Jeff Samarja. I have a Jeff Samarja jersey back in New Jersey. He, um, that dude was amazing for that. I mean, and honestly, if we're, if, if you're looking back on it, really propped up uh, Brady Quinn a little bit, I think. I mean, no, no for him. sure. But... So Jeff Samarja had the same thing going on where Jeff Samarja was not a really fast receiver. And you know what? He's what about six, four, six, five, somewhere in that yeah, range. Probably, probably closer to I mean, six, three, dude. six, four, but same thing. All right. I think he was listed at six, five at Notre Dame, but you know, I'm sure they're pumping that one up a little bit, but anyway, just not a terribly fast guy. I can't even guess what he would have done in the 40, but there are times at Notre Dame when he had two or three guys defending him and he just could defeat those double and triple teams. It wasn't a problem for him. Just great hands, uh, really good route runner, really good after the catch for some reason, which go figure for a guy who's really lacking some of the elite tools that you look for in a wide receiver uh, with what they do yards after catch. Uh, he did the same thing, though, because he got drafted by the Chicago Cubs and went and played baseball. And a lot of fans were disappointed about that. A lot of Dolphins fans, because they were looking for receivers at the time. Obviously, we drafted Ted Ginn Jr. that that spring. But just to put in perspective, I mean, this has happened before to prospects who probably would have gone in the first round. I mean, Kyler Murray, they claim he's 5'11". I've heard that he's maybe 5'9". Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Russell Wilson is just under 5'11", and I'm not a big fan of using height as the the number one you know, measuring tool, no pun intended, for judging a quarterback, which I feel a lot of people do. I, I remember right around the time we, t- we took Ryan Tannehill, the big discussion out there was you don't want to take a quarterback who's under 6'2". I mean, right now, I mean, you see Baker. Baker's what, six foot and a half? Yeah. Somewhere around yeah, there. Easily. Uh, Russell Wilson's, as we mentioned, 5'10 and 7 eighths or three quarters or whatever. But it, there's more to it than that. I mean, you're seeing now, it seems like guys are a, a little more okay with quarterbacks who are six foot, six one. Drew Brees is six foot. Uh, a lot, all those quarterbacks who came out. Um, in that 2017 class, Mitchell Trubisky is 6'2". Patrick Mahomes is 6'2". Deshaun Watson is 6'2". Um, and we mentioned Baker as well. And then, I mean, the other guys who were drafted last year were bigger dudes. Josh Allen, 6'5". Sam Darnold, 6'3". I think Rosen, 6'4". So, I mean, you'll see a lot of it, but it's not, it's not <clears throat> the be-all, end-all of whether a guy's going to be a successful quarterback. I remember when Robert Griffin was coming into the league and he went to the Combine. 
And all people wanted to know was whether he was going to be six foot two or shorter. That's like, I mean, and he was six. I think he was like six, two and a quarter. And people are like, oh, OK, no, we're good with it. It's like, was that really going to make that yeah. much of a difference? It's a half inch going to determine whether this guy can play in the NFL yeah, I mean, or not. The offenses have changed so, too, where it's not like you're not coming out of a, an offset eye and running play action, you know, on first down every every drive and stuff like that like they're a lot more wide open and they're out of the shotgun more often like they're catching up to that college game and going that way instead of the college game coming to us um so at the end of the day like for sure you don't need to be six five anymore because like you don't need to turn around bury your head on the fake come back up set your steps and then find your reads like Half the time now, you run a play action like that, they're moving the line and they're getting you out of the pocket in the first place. So the game's totally changed. So yeah, the, the height thing's starting to go out the window, which is nice. Yeah, it always really bothered me. So, and we got a little bit away from this <laughs> conversation, but so we've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and that's okay. Tangents are good. Um, so if you're looking at Oklahoma and Texas, great rematch from a game earlier this year that Texas won. Uh, you want to throw a guy out there, someone the Dolphins should, Dolphins fans should maybe keep an eye on, some guy who could very well be wearing aqua and orange in the um, spring. So Texas has a bunch of a bunch of no namers um, that are just pretty solid players, um, but that's kind of been the case for a couple seasons now, just because of how they've played. But now they have a record to kind of match it. Um, one dude that the Dolphins may look at on, um, well, let's let's say two dudes from Texas that they may look at are um, that that one defensive end, Brecken Hager, um, the dude with the long blonde hair. Um, he he's a guy that you can probably <laughs> grab day day three, fourth or fifth round, because um, they they just need defensive end depth at this point. Um, there's a big question on who will be back next year because of age and injury and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's a tough one. Um, and then there's, uh, there, they have a corner whose name is, um, Chris Boyd. Um, he's got, he's got some height to him. Um, he's a pretty good player. I think he's probably teetering on that, that six foot one, six foot. He may even come in five eleven and change, but, um, he's been pretty physical and good for him, for them overall. Um, and there's a, there's a couple more guys on that defense that might make sense. Um, and the one guy that I need to put a little more time in with on Oklahoma, um, that's played really well this year is, um, uh, he's a right guard, Drew, Drew Samia or something like that. Um, he's played pretty well this yeah. year from what I've seen. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch like the snap by snap um plays of him and and the technique and stuff um but i mean like the dolphins need interior linemen like nobody's business so um he makes sense um the the other player on on texas circling back here quick is um colin johnson too that their receiver that's he's listed at six six he'll probably come in six five two twenty ish um so if they decide to to part ways with dvp and that's not going to happen anymore um, and since uh, Gasecki hasn't come out and kind of blown the doors off everyone, you might get another jump ball, kind of 50-50 red zone option in there. Two things real quick. Uh, do you think the um, the hate toward Gasecki is overblown right now, and do you think it's something that eventually 100%. works itself out? Um, it's, it's way too early. Tight ends always struggle. Um, the only time you see a rookie tight end not struggle is when you have a team like uh, Philly that has Dallas Goddard where like Goddard's catching touchdowns because they're way more worried about Zach Ertz. I'm sorry. Like if, if you got two tight ends out there yeah. between Zach Ertz and a dude from South Dakota state or whatever, like F it, I'll let this rookie South Dakota state guy score on us. Um, so it's it's overblown. Um, he's blocked well, which is the one thing that everybody said he couldn't do like at all. Um, so I'm happy about that. I think he's done a nice job. Um, but we'll we'll see as as he moves along here. I think the future is bright with him. I think everyone needs to back off the ledge with that guy. Uh, is this it for DVP in Miami? <sighs> Probably. Um, if he had that fifth year option picked up, I'd say, eh, keep him. Um, 
but there's too many other guys at receiver this year that made plays when he didn't um, and that were healthy when he wasn't. Um, and there's too many cheaper options moving forward. So um, I think it's one of those things where it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the SEC title game, which is at Bama and Georgia rematch of last year's uh, national championship. Much different look this year in that Bama's defense is as good as anything I've ever seen in terms of the defensive line. Um, and that Georgia defense, which was so incredible a year ago, a lot of those dudes went to the NFL. You see guys like Lorenzo Carter, guys like Roquan Smith. They're all out of there. Still some key pieces in there, though. So you mentioned the defensive line. I have to admit, I have to figure if you're interested in the Dolphins bolstering their their defensive line next spring, Bama is a team you want to look at. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, the two big guys off the top um, for them are Quinn and Williams, who's had a crazy season as their nose tackle. But like he can play anything from five tech to five tech like. He's probably one of those guys like Dexter Lawrence and uh, Clemson that like you want to put him at wide nine, F it, do it. He'll be fine. Um, you know, so he's a guy. And then a guy that got a lot of hype um, that has kind of gotten the, the thunderstorm from him is um, Raekwon Davis, too. Um, he reminds me a mm-hmm. lot of um, the two Oregon guys, uh, DeForest Buckner and Ark Armstead. Yeah, those, he, he reminds me a lot of those kind of guys. He's that 6'7", worst case scenario, 6'6", um, you know, 300, 305. Um, I think at the end of the day, he ends up as a 5-tech somewhere. Um, but he, he wouldn't be a bad, you know, shade kind of 3 guy, wide 3, um, you know, like a 4-eye look every now and then um, in those wide 9 kind of setups. Um but I think if they go defensive line, it's probably Quinn and Williams at that point. Just a couple of questions, because I'm always interested to hear what people people think, because Alabama puts these classes out there and then they go ahead in the NFL. And you always think that that guy's the best linebacker, the best safety corner or defensive lineman that Alabama has produced under Nick Saban. Uh, I up until this point, I thought that Jonathan Allen was probably the best defensive lineman I've seen under Nick Saban with like Deron Payne right under him. Do you think Quinn and Williams is better than those I two? Think, I think Quinn and Williams' ceiling is higher than those two. Um, I don't know if he is the best of the three and or will be better than those two. Um, but I think he's the first... Alabama lineman that I would put in an order if you're talking about guys in the past, you know, five years or so off the defensive line and like who has the highest ceiling, Um, which sometimes for Bama guys, like Bama guys typically have like low floor or low ceiling, like high floor kind of deal. Um, So it'll be interesting with him to see kind of how that shakes out. That's that's a tough one to answer, though. We were making a joke on on Thanksgiving because Washington has all the top line guys like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, whereas Detroit always gets like the yep. number two dude, A-Shawn. like Ashawn Robinson, <laughs> yep. Deshaun Hand, you know guys so like that. They'll end so up with Isaiah Bugs um, too. Isaiah Bugs has been really good this year, and like yeah. because he's on the same interior as Quinn Williams and Raekwon Davis, like he just gets no love. But he's been a really solid senior in there. Where does Mac rank in the the linebackers that Nick Saban has produced? Um, I mean, if you're talking about how we pictured everyone as they were coming out, I'd say he's probably he's probably on the back end of of that ranking. There, um, you know, I, I we all thought Mosley was really good coming out. He's been okay, um, but I'd say coming out. Um, who, who was the most recent one again? Not Ragland. Um, God, why is my Ruben uh, Foster. Foster? So like, I think Ruben Foster was probably the best out of them. He's also the craziest out of all of them. Um, like he, he makes <laughs> Ro- <laughs> Rolando McLean look like a sane person. Um, 
And he <laughs> before Ruben Foster, I thought Rolando McLean was the most hyped uh, linebacker that Nick Saban has produced because I remember in 2010, the hype behind Rolando McLean was just yeah. stupid huge. It was yeah, boring. yeah. We were we were looking at like an Aaron Curry situation there, um, which which that oh, that's man. a whole nother story, but um, but yeah. So I think like if I had to rank him out from like where I would rank him, at least when I thought of what those Bama linebackers were coming out, I'd say it'd probably be Mosley or Foster, Mosley, Ragland, um, and Mac. Um, I don't think he's. Matt, Mac Wilson's not a bad player. I just don't think he's as dynamic. Um, I think he's a dude that if you're a 43 team and you need a, uh, a a strong side linebacker, I think you put him in there, play him two downs, and never look behind. Um, so, but it's it's nothing against him. He's just not as outstanding as the other guys. So, I mean, and then well, I'll keep use this one last question about Alabama and then we'll um we'll move on to the two other games and then we'll call it um so as safety positions another one where we always hear a lot about the guys that Nick Saban produces and this is a long list because I mean it starts with guys like Mark Barron who's not even a safety in the NFL really I mean I think the Rams use yeah, him as more of a like linebacker the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Rams, the Rams use him as like their mic yeah, they're like the, roaming mic essentially um which he was always such a big dude. And I remember when uh, Tampa drafted him and in his first game, he almost killed yeah. Steve Smith. And I remember seeing that. And I was like, oh, this is a big, this is a big dude. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's on that list. Um, some guys who really weren't as impactful in the NFL as some thought. Some guys who have been really good. I mean, haha, Clinton Dix has been a good player, uh, recently traded. So the funny thing is, I don't remember a, a Bama safety getting more love in the NFL and just like an absolute wave behind him than what Eddie Jackson has going on. Yeah, right well, now. that's because Eddie Jackson destroyed his knee that last year, um, so he was all but right. forgotten. I mean, but I mean, like the thing is, is a lot of the guys that have come out of Bama have been more strong safety ish, um, and I think. Minka kind of benefited from obviously his unique dual skill set, but like once Eddie Jackson came in and showed that like, look, like I'm a Bama safety, but like I'm not going to just come down and knock your teeth out every time. Like people kind of had that idea of like, okay, like they produce more than just dudes that'll cover well in, you know, a sink kind of zone coverage and then come down and ruin your day in, in, in the run game. Um, so, you know, I, I'm happy for Eddie Jackson that he was able to come back for that, from that injury and tear it up. Yeah, he's become an absolute star in Chicago. I mean, he's a, he's a favorite. The reason I bring up all these guys is where does Deontay fit in, that? in, this, in this lineage, if you will? Um, so, again, we'll, we'll play the game of what I was thinking of them as they were coming out, not what they are in the NFL now. Um, I think of out of the most recent ones, my top one was probably um, Collins. I, I really liked Landon Collins a lot. Um, I thought he mm -hmm. was the same thing, and he essentially is as Rashad Jones, but he just showed it right away where Rashad Jones had to grow into it once he got into the league. Um, so I think it was him. And then I think my next one was probably... It probably was Minka, even though I was a little bit lower on Minka than other people were. Um, then Haha, Baron, um, and then Eddie, Eddie Jackson on the back end just because of the knee injury. Um, but Deontay Thompson, I would probably slide him in right above Haha. Um, I think him and Haha give you a lot of the same things. I just think with the way the college game has changed in the past few years, you have to be like crazy athletic to play a pretty true free safety ro role. Um, so I think he's got better range and coverage ability. Um, and I was actually going to propose this to you at some point too, where if Minka stays on the boundary and like the Dolphins end up picking in 13 to 17 or something stupid like that, like 
Do you double down on Bama safeties and run Minka outside, Thompson in the back end, and then, you know, just play with that there? Um, I think, the, at least in my opinion, the only way that happens is if Jones or Rashad, uh, not, not Jones, uh, McDonald or Rashad Jones are out. And I think it'd have to be Rashad Jones at that point. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't say no to that scenario. Um, I'm quite intrigued by it. I kind of like the idea of seeing what what kind of upside Minka Fitzpatrick has out on the perimeter. There's no doubt that he can do it. It's just how long and at at mm-hmm. what kind of level. Because I mean, there's there's certain places he can be on the field where I mean, he's an elite talent. I mean, he's definitely an elite mind. I mean, he's just self-driven. I mean, we we were we talked about him, I think, almost every week. I mean, he's outstanding. He's everything you want in a high first-round pick uh, on, in the secondary, in my opinion. And if not for the fact that Xavier Howard is just absolutely just stupid good right now, I think it, you, we'd be talking even more about Minka Fitzpatrick. So I wouldn't say no to that. I think that... Bama defenders are a safer pick now more than ever. Whereas, I mean, we talked about, I mean, Mark Barron was considered like a high, super high floor, lowish to mid ceiling safety. And I mean, he did okay things in Tampa, but I mean, as as we talked about, I mean, he's not even a safety right now. I mean, we talked about high Clinton Dix. Landon Collins has been really important. Um, for like when uh, New York went to the playoffs a couple of years ago, he was a big part of that of that defense. So especially with uh, the three corners that they had in there, we talked about those guys a couple of weeks ago. So I mean, Landon Collins has done really good things. Eddie Jackson, I mentioned, is just an absolute stud in Chicago right now. Just finds the football. Um, if people saw that pick six he had against the Lions on Thanksgiving, I mean that it's not like that ball was just errantly thrown to him. I mean, like he sniffed out that route and absolutely went in there and just took the ball away. I mean, and that's what elite defenders do, especially when they're coming from the the um, the back third of the defensive side of the football. So, I mean, that's big. That's big time stuff. So, um, I'm cool with Alabama defenders. I don't think we're. It's not like the early days where you know, hey, we really like this D Milner guy or. You know, a lot of people thought that Drake Kirkpatrick was just going to be this shutdown corner. And I think it really all unraveled first because he was listed as like 6'3 at Alabama. And it turns out that he's like yeah. maybe 6'1. So, I mean, so, which is still tall for a corner. But I mean, that, that is a big, big gap between those two heights. So, um, I'm going to try to keep this moving a little bit because. I'm not a Bama fan by any stretch. I actually despise that school, but I do appreciate the NFL talent they pr- they put out, and it, it is fun to project where those guys could play at the next level, especially with yeah, their defensive but- linemen. Their defensive linemen are just ready-made 3-4 players. Before more we switch games here, though, um, on the Georgia side of the ball, on defense, keep an eye on uh, Jonathan Ledbetter. He's a dude that's just been really solid for them. He's never turned into the superstar that they were hoping he'd be. Um, but he's a guy that could be a answer to replacing Will Hayes. And I mean, we should, we, we should talk yeah. about Baker yeah. as well. Cause I think that I don't know if, if anyone's combine is going to determine their stock more than I mean, that, if dude. he comes in truly at five eleven, um, or if he comes in real high five ten. I think there's a chance that he could go over Greedy Williams out of LSU based on who might be picking in the top end of the draft and what you're looking for. Like, if you are looking for a really good cover corner that does everything you ask him to do, you take Baker and you never look back. If you're looking at a decent, a pretty good cover corner at LSU with good lineage at a school with good size, good athleticism, and a little bit higher of a ceiling, you go after Greedy Williams. So it'll be interesting to see who's the the top choice um, out of those two guys. His long speed's going to come into question too. But the weird thing is, like, when you watch him on tape, he looks fast. Like, I've never looked at him and thought, like, he's 
sandbagging it or anything. And the funny thing is that was the biggest one of the biggest knocks against yeah. Xavier Howard. His 40 remember, time wasn't that good. There was this guy so, that, you know, played really good corner, did everything right, came in at a not good size, didn't run a good 40. I think his name was Desmond King, and I think he's pretty good though. No, Desmond King is just absolutely cleaning up for the Chargers right now. And you know, I mean, it's it's a cliche. I I hate using this term with Iowa football players, but they're Iowa football players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, are yep. typically smart guys. I mean, like if you're gonna if you play defense at Iowa, I mean, you have a high football IQ. So, uh, you definitely you killed that pick because I mean, Desmond King is like I mean, and he is in a very important part of. And imagine if that secondary were completely healthy because like they've got Derwin back there now, and that guy's just absolutely tearing it up. That's going to be an impressive, like if they can go ahead and solidify a couple of things on that back end, that's a, a scary oh, yeah. secondary going forward. People aren't here to listen to the, to talk about the Chargers, though. But um, so I mean, we'll just get to the obvious one. Ohio State, Northwestern. I would love to see Northwestern win this game. I absolutely hate Ohio State. I apologize to anyone who's listening to this who's an Iowa or an Ohio State fan. I'm sorry it worked out that way for you. But here we are. Dwayne Haskins is a is pretty much for a lot of guys prospect number one, especially if they're looking for a quarterback. Uh what do you I mean, has your opinion on this guy changed at all? I mean, you have you mentioned you messaged me during the Michigan game on Saturday, which was close for a half and then turned into an absolute bloodbath. You were like, this guy is I'm paraphrasing, but you said something to the effect of he more and more is starting to look like the kind of guy that Miami can work with. Yeah, I mean, like, and it just also comes from the parallels of some of the things that Urban Meyer does and some of the things that Gase started to do this year, especially with a lot of those fly sweeps with the receivers and just a bunch of different things. And the type of receivers that he plays with at Ohio State, Ohio State never really has any of those big bodied red zone, six foot three, six foot four, six foot five kind of guys. Um, and, you know, they always kind of have those move tight ends too. Um, so I, I think he's a guy that would make sense, at least just drawing visual parallels from what Ohio State has done offensively this year that he's found one year of success with and what the Dolphins have done um, this year. Am I going to say that? If they take a quarterback in the first round, he's the guy that they should take. I don't know about that. Um, But, you know, I think at the right price, in the right scenario, he's a guy that I think they could be really interested in. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up with the, I mean, I don't have a lot of interest in watching Clemson and uh, Pitt. (laughs) I think you're quite likely to see Clemson and Notre Dame go at it in the either the Orange Bowl or I saw that they might flip the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, depending on if they deem if Oklahoma wins on Saturday and it's considered they have a, a home field advantage in the Cotton Bowl, they'd flip and Oklahoma and you have to assume Alabama would go to the Orange Bowl and then um uh blah, 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 and then uh, Notre Dame and uh Clemson would go and play in the cotton. I just feel bad for Georgia that they're essentially getting teased by being thrown into this number four slot this week. And it's just like, well, guys, if you don't beat Alabama, you're shit out of luck. Sorry. That's, that's so bad. Yeah. I mean, they're getting, they're kind of getting teed up here. Yeah. But I mean, there's such as life, (laughs) especially when you're, it's been Bama and everyone else all year, which is too bad because I mean, Notre Dame's had a great year. I mean, I saw some people claiming Notre Dame doesn't belong. I don't think that's fair. I mean, they ran the table. They beat down Michigan in the beginning of the year. Michigan, until last weekend, was considered a quality football team. I mean, football I'm going to be honest, though. <laughs> so, if, you, if you told uh, me based off of – I think it's just tough because Notre Dame's still independent and they're not in a real conference where it's like, look, you have to play these people every year. Um while there are certain perennial people that they play every year, Stanford, USC, um, Michigan's now back on the table again. They usually play Michigan State most years and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's tough to sell 
that, especially when all the hate that UCF has gotten, like, okay, UCF hasn't played a ton of powerhouses either, but like, you know, what's considered fair and on the table for everyone. You know, I think that's the bigger issue when it comes to Notre Dame season this year. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're at home this week. I mean, they don't yeah. have to do anything. I mean, whereas you got all these, all these teams that at least have to, you know, they have to win their imagine, conference outright to get where they want to go. Ohio State versus Notre Dame for the Big Ten championship instead. That changes life drastically for four to seven teams. Right. Instead, I mean, Notre Dame is locked yeah. into that three spot unless something really messed up, unless Clemson somehow loses or but Alabama then, loses. They, they don't, you know, so go into it worse. Yeah. They worst case move. scenario is they stay still, um, you know, in a crazy scenario where Georgia beats Bama, essentially you see Clemson go to one, Bama go to two, Notre Dame still hangs at three. And, uh, you know, Georgia. Maybe Georgia, maybe Georgia goes to three and Notre Dame goes to four, um, but that they're still playing Clemson. So at the end of the day, or no, they play Bama at that point. So that that'd be probably worst case scenario for them. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, we'll we'll just keep this one short with Clemson though. We just laugh at how good this defensive line has been. Who is your favorite guy on this defensive line in terms of someone the Dolphins could use next season? Because, I mean, all four guys could I be first-round picks. I think the only guy that I'm not super interested in is uh, Clellan Farrell. I don't think he's bad. I think he's a little overhyped. Um, you know, at one point I had him in my top five, too, just because, like, I didn't know what I was going to do with my my top 100 either. But he's he slid out. He I don't even think he's top 10 anymore. Um, but so I, I think he's good. I don't think he's great. Um, I think if you're a team looking for a decent defensive end, you'll be able to get Austin Bryant at a better price, um, at least draft capital wise. Um, but I think it's going to be another, like, what, what's your flavor when it comes to, um, Lawrence and Christian Wilkins. Um, I think Wilkins probably goes higher because his athleticism is crazier um, and he gives you more flexibility and options where even though Lawrence is a really good athlete at the size that he is, um, he's still kind of in that mold of your Dantari pose um, and guys in that, you know, Haloti Nada kind of class. Um, yeah, yeah, you're two, yeah, you're, you're, you're two gappers. Um, I think... I think you could probably play Lawrence anywhere from, you know, like a, a zero over the nose, um, you know, maybe even maybe even out to like a an, an, an interior four kind of look um, in a wide nine. I think he'd be able to survive, you know, uh, especially Miami's wide nine front. Um, but at the end of the day, I think most teams are going to look at him as like, a real athletic nose tackle that you could still use on passing downs. <clears throat> I'm a big fan of his game. So I'm interested to see if those guys can, and you have to assume they're going to be in the playoff and see what happens with them. You got a, the young quarterback in there. I, f- I do think he's an upgrade over Kelly Bryant. I think Kelly Bryant was someone who became a hindrance for them in their game against Alabama last year, as opposed to what Deshaun Watson was able to do the year prior. Of course, losing that insane receiver group that they had didn't help. You think about what Mike Williams did to Alabama in that, uh, that national championship game uh, in uh, Tampa two years ago. So uh, we'll go ahead and we're just on, we're supposed to do a half hour. We're just under an hour now. So we'll fold this up. We could talk about college football forever. We might do that at some point. Uh, we mentioned this off air before the show, but we're going to do a sort of like bowl preview for the, the big games coming up. Um, as soon as they're decided, every, a lot of stuff gets finalized on Sunday after all the games are played on Saturday. So we'll have an idea of what's going on. We can sit there and talk about that at the time at that time. So, uh, until then, uh, for Zach, my name is Keith. Thanks for, uh, tuning in. This has been episode seven of uh, I Hate the Fins. We're on, our, on the uh, Finsider Radio Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. 
and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>